welcome to the Get Fit with Jodell podcast. I am, as usual, the big floating head Jodell, and I have with me a returning guest. I always like when I get people back on because it's fun for me to ask them the questions we didn't get to. Plus, there's always a new realm of conversation we can have with regard to the pro-metabolic space and bioenergetics and all things that have to do with optimizing our health from the top down. So I have Kate Deering back on, a certified nutrition consultant and owner at Kate Deering Health and Fitness. And obviously we have all um, heard her, read her stuff and been in love with all of that she's putting out there. So everybody can benefit from learning more about how their body works and what really is going to be needle movers. So we're going to talk some specific needle movers for specific things like thyroid, blood sugar, um, sleep, even things like stress management. So let's dive right in. Welcome. Thank you. Super excited to be back here again. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, you too. Like, I just love like-minded individuals. So when it comes to the people that you work with, because you work with a lot of clients and have for many years, what are some of the biggest needle movers that you know, right off the bat, I want to dive into a big, like, these are the things that are, are just staples that people have to consider if they want to optimize their health and even go so far as like, you know, a lot of the issue is weight loss, um, specifically for women. We hear a lot about, I just want to lose weight, or I just want to get these last few pounds off, or I just want to improve my metabolism. So I burn fat faster. So tell me about that. So I would say, well, certainly when I work with someone, I do a, a pretty extensive health questionnaire. So we kind of find out, because I think when you do talk to people, their initial response is, well, I just want to lose some weight. Mm -hmm. And then you start having a conversation with them and they're like, oh, I have some GI issues. Oh, I have some period issues. Oh, I have some sleep issues. Okay. So I personally like to go after the GI system uh, initially, because I think that that is interconnected to almost every other system in their body. And so if you're having a ton of GI issues and GI irritations or bloating or anything that's going on down there, if we start addressing that, cleaning it up, making things move better, especially if someone is constipated, we can assume that, you know, things are sluggishly moving through the system. Your, your body is running at, you know, let's say 97 to 98.6. And so you have all this stuff just sitting in your hot body. We can imagine what could be happening if it's staying in there a lot longer than it should be. Mm -hmm. And so getting that moving um, is certainly one of the first things I like to address. So depending on the individual, there's the, and the thing is when you address GI, and we also know that the GI is very interconnected to the nervous system, mm -hmm. that we have to kind of look at a big picture and go, okay, well, where's their stress? Do they have a lot of stress in their life? Because obviously kind of addressing that or looking at their stress can help the GI system because anytime you are in that sympathetic state, we know the first thing that happens or one of the first things happens is your GI system says we're not going to work any longer, right? Your body does not care if it's in that fight or flight about digesting food. So you activate that sympathetic system. GI system likes to work in the parasympathetic state. So it just kind of slows down. Uh, hydrochloric acid might decrease. Enzymes might decrease. And just the entire movement starts mm -hmm. to slow down. So what you'll see is people in that stress state seem to always have some GI issues. So it could be addressing things like, okay, well, what can we do to try to improve the stress? Is that something that we can look at? Or do we need to look at the GI and go, well, what things are probably, you know, again, the lowest hanging fruit that we can maybe remove that help things move better? So it could be trying to get out things like polyunsaturated fats, maybe having less hard to digest foods like the nuts and seeds. It could be even 
maybe not removing starch but, starch, but certainly making sure that the starch is prepared properly so it doesn't create as much distress. So there's, I think a lot of things, I mean, the GI, there's like so many different angles that you can address it at. But if somebody can improve GI uh, function and things and have regular bowel movements, what I notice certainly is their sleep improves, their energy improves, their mood improves, like literally so many things, other things will improve from just that one area. And of course, maybe not everything, but we certainly can get some movement in almost every aspect of their life if we can get some better GI function. Oh, I love that. I love hearing the the movement aspect because it's almost like you get things moving and other areas of your life, like you said, start moving or other areas of your health start moving. And so it is so important to get the trash out. And part of the the issues that we're having is we just become toxic. And the only way to get the toxicity out is to really look at the gut first and look at it from that north to south process. Because I, I heard you mention the stomach acid and then we have bile and then we have you know, what's our gut bacteria doing and addressing all of those can almost from a top down. So let's break, maybe we could break down a few of those, like the stomach acid. What are some things that you love to do for stomach acid? Well, and I would actually even start with the mouth first. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that digestion uh-huh. starts with the mouth. So yep. you can see that like, you know, with people when they're eating, are you even chewing your food? So mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, yeah, I chew like once or twice and then swallow. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so let's start there. Let's start just slowing that process down and chewing your food more. Maybe mm-hmm. if you're doing it twice, maybe could <laughs> we go five or six times, right? If you're going five or six, maybe go 10 to 12. Chew the food, allow it to pre-digest before it even goes into the stomach area. Yeah. And if you do that, then you're already giving yourself a head start with how your food is being digested. And that's another reason you can go even before that and go, well, what can we do to that food to actually make it easier to digest? Yeah. So, well, we can cook it. We can and remove a lot of the things that just ultimately are harder to digest. We can kind of soak things and sprout mm-hmm. if you're going to have some sort of legumes. You can soak your rice or your, your potatoes before you cook them. All of those will help things kind of pre-digest before you even put them in your mouth. So then mm-hmm. again, then chew that food, right? So then allow it to go into the stomach so that now your stomach has less work that it has to do to kind of break that food down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally, I think that increasing thyroid function will obviously help the hydrochloric acid. Absolutely. But again, and since we know that stress and good thyroid are kind of the opposite of each other. So usually removing some of that stress load in your life is going to help thyroid function. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we look at it in isolation and go, you know, especially if someone goes to the doctor and they just say, Hey, you have your, your low thyroid, your hypothyroid. If you're not addressing why they're hypothyroid and just giving them thyroid medication, you're missing a big component because I, I always think your body does things for a reason. You know, it's very rare. It just does it for no reason at all. And so (laughs) it happens over time and it usually just become compounding stress and stress and stress now. So we, we do need to address what else is going on in our life. And if, you know, we're working 90 hours a week, we aren't in a good relationship. We're eating crappy food. You know, we don't have any sun exposure. It's the winter. We're staying up too late. We're sitting in front of our computer till 10 or 11 o'clock. All of those things are going to exacerbate the system and your, your body's going to respond. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just throw hot thyroid hormone at it or even give it a really good diet. We have, to, I mean, those will help, but you have to kind of address the other side of things and go, look, maybe we need to shut this stuff off. Maybe you need to go outside throughout the day. 
Maybe you need to, you know, sit in front of a red light, but there's a lot of other avenues that you can take that and decrease that stress load because anything that does is going to help improve thyroid function, which will help improve gut function, which will improve your hydrochloric acid, which is going to help you break down food better and so forth and so on. Oh, good. Yeah. I love the the piece about thyroid isn't just taking a medication. It's calming the stress response too. And so maybe in a little bit, we'll dive into some stress management. And I, I love the, the chewing aspect too, because it even goes one step more into that cephalic phase of digestion too. I have a big issue with people that watch the Food Network all day long because they're stimulating their digestion. They don't realize it all day long. Or people, if you'll, you'll recognize people that work in, um, like grocery stores all day long. If maybe if they're a grocery clerk, they're seeing food, they're smelling food, their body is sensing food in, in front of them. And we're really sensitive to that. And so I have clients who are like, I don't know why I can't lose the weight, but I'm surrounded by food all day. I'm watching food. I'm looking at food. Everything about my world is food. And that is telling the brain release insulin, release this, release that, we're about to eat, we're seeing food, we're sensing food. And so we really have to find a space to calm that down because the brain is so reactive to food, just like just like our, our whole entire digestive system is, yeah? 100%. I mean, your brain is a trigger for so many things, right? I mean, if it starts thinking that there's some threat, regardless if there is or not, if it thinks there is, it's going to initiate some level of stress response. So your thoughts, can be a trigger as well as, you know, someone breaking into your house or whatever is happening. If your if your brain senses threat, it initiates a stress response. And that stress response is going to put you into that high cortisol, high adrenaline state. And all of that is going to shut down thyroid function, right? Yeah. And, you know, what people understand is that you can technically be burning a significant amount of calories in that state, but not in a way that you want, right? It's actually lowering what we, you know, the basal metabolic rate. So it's essentially lowering all the systems and all the, the bodily functions that actually consume a lot of energy. And we're saying, you know, we need to put all that on the back burner because we have this other threat to deal with. So, you know, our heart rate's going to increase. We feel like we need to run. Whatever that experience is for you, biologically, it's going it to kind of be the same in your body. You might not necessarily fear you need to run from food or whatnot. But if your body thinks of stress or a threat, it's still going to have that same response. And so physiologically, your body will have that same response, which is going to lead you to, again, not being able to lose weight, having lower thyroid function, lower digestive function, and so forth. Yeah, I just had this conversation too with a client where she's like, well, just tell me what to eat, tell me what to exercise, you know, and I'm like, but we need to address the brain because everything you're telling me is telling me that your body is sensing that you're under mass amounts of stress because of the way your life is chaotic. You're running on all eight cylinders trying to solve everybody's problems. So I really don't care what you eat at this point. We need to reframe your brain to go, I'm safe. I'm calm. I I don't have to be in control of everything. I can come down and, and trust myself and have a good relationship with what the, the habits that I'm doing, create consistency, sm set small goals, tell myself I can do this. It, even though it hasn't worked in the past, this time it's going to work, you know, reframing our negative thought patterns. And I don't remember, did you ever hear Dr. Pete speak about brain and how it related to the bioenergetics or the way our thought patterns are? Not, I don't, I'm trying to recall if I ever spoke with him about that. 
Uh, off the top of my head, but I mean, he certainly did involve the nervous system. So he'd always say the nervous system was kind of the root of everything and your mm -hmm. brain was the root of everything, which I think is very true when you kind of look at the limbic system and how it's activated, mm -hmm. you know, for, and I use this, I refer people to this program all the time. It's called dynamic neural retraining yeah. system. Yeah. yeah. And I used it years ago when I, um, got, toxic with Botox and I had a, a Botox. I had a severe reaction and my nervous system, it was like, I put my, my fingers in a light socket and it wouldn't stop. I had this hyper active nervous system that would not shut down. And so when you get into that state, your brain is now in constant threat constantly and how to, and because I was having a physiological response that yeah. was from toxicity, it wouldn't stop. And so what that system tells you to do it basically because what ends up happening is you're already activated but then you activate it even worse because now you're thinking about the activation and mm -hmm. all it does is exacerbate the entire system and so if you can stop it so if you can't actually stop the activation physiologically initially at least you can stop the activation of your brain because your brain is still communicating constantly and so what we end up doing is we get in those loops so even if your body isn't being poisoned or whatever anymore the brain still thinks it is and it's so fearful that it keeps activating that system so if you're right if you can kind of get into a place go hey you're safe or you know as soon as you start having that thought pattern get yourself out of it then your brain will start shutting down that system and that can work with pain as well but it also can just work in a stress response because the same thing with pain is Pain is just coming from your brain, right? We don't have really pain receptors in that area, but our brain is communicating and saying, yep, there's pain. And that's why we can see people that have injury and they have no pain or they have injury or they don't have an injury and have pain. It's just because of that loop is happening. So if we can learn to kind of listen to our thoughts, start shutting things down, giving ourselves some feedback that we're safe, then that whole entire system will start calming down and we can basically start managing other things like what to eat, right? And getting ourselves out of that cycle. But, you know, there's a lot of different, I think we've always talked about, there's a lot of different angles that we can come at, but certainly addressing the, the brain part of it all is very helpful because I've seen it work with people that can't eat anything, right? So mm -hmm. the ones that every time they eat food, they're, they're immediately triggered and then they start like they can't have, they can't eat it. They get, you know, headaches or what. So their digestive system immediately responds with almost everything they eat. And mm -hmm. so shutting that down, because what's happening as soon as they eat, they're going, oh my God, I'm going to have a reaction to this. Right. Right. And so if they constantly tell themselves that, then they're already, their, their digestive system's like, yep, we're going to have a reaction. And they <laughs> it'll just feed the system and yes. they keep doing it. So Again, kind of working on that other aspect and allowing your thoughts and being aware of your thoughts and learning to shut them down and kind of pushing yourself into a different direction is super helpful for basically, yeah, if you're surrounded by food or if you can't deal with food or if you're starting to have an uh, ongoing stress response or even pain. Yeah. And how, how have you, um, sorry, have you ever done um, EFT tapping? Have you ever experienced with that? Because that really helped me when you were saying about your Botox experience. That's how I felt after the toxic mold. And yeah. I really feel like that EFT and all of the things you reframe your thoughts when you're tapping on these little Chinese totally. meridian points and stuff, that really can help people retrain the limbic system too. Did you have any success with that? I did do that. Um, and I, I think I found a little bit of it. Um, but I mean, I guess when I went to the DNRS, it, it was my, I was just waking up 
and I wasn't even aware of it as, as much as I had kind of studied like kind of the brain and so forth. When you, when you get so over uh, sensitive or in that fear base, it's like you were waking up every morning and initially like what chaos is my body going to take me through today? Mm-hmm. And, and without even knowing, cause you were, and then you're in the defense all day long. Like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, that's going to trigger me. That's going to trigger me. That's going to yeah. trigger me. And so for me, it became such a mental war within myself. And so until I was really aware of it and started to, you know, cause it takes a practice to, to kind of shift it. I, I couldn't, it was hard for me to let anything else work. Mm. It, you know, it was like, I was blocking so many other things. Cause I was just in this spiral constantly because I would go, you know, and I know people have had this, I would go to doctor to doctor. I don't know if you had oh, that experience yeah. and, and nobody knew what to do. They're like, yeah, we've heard of this. We don't really know how to treat this. You know, do you want some anti-anxiety medications or, you know, anything like that? And I'm like, I no, I want, you know, but, but medical, the medical world just doesn't really know what to kind of do with some chronic issues, you know, other than medicate them. And so it became quite distressing. Um, and so for me, a lot of tapping or even like massage or acupuncture, it would help me very marginally. But as soon as my brain would get triggered again, I'd go down a spiral loop. And so until I learned to kind of take control of that, um, the other modalities didn't seem to help me very much. Yeah, I think the brain aspect of what you said, the, the beliefs, those limiting beliefs are really what start to manifest after an event or after something traumatic or after some sort of issue within your body. We start to go, oh, I'm going to get that way again, or I'm going to have that pain again, or I'm going to experience that again. And these we start to be defined by those limiting beliefs. And so really working on brain safety any way that somebody can and changing it to an empowering belief, even it's just like every time you get that thought, I'm so fat. You change it to an empowering belief like, okay, I'm I'm doing everything in my life right now. I'm going to cross all my T's and dot all my I's to not have this weight on me. So I'm going to trust the process, you know, and just changing it to an empowering belief versus a limiting belief. And the gut goes up to the brain too. There's a whole gut brain axis. So going back to the gut, um, we talked a little bit about stomach acid. What do you think about the importance of bile production too? Well, you got to get things out. So bile production is pretty <laughs> important, right? So that is super important. So certainly getting enough fats in your diet is going to be pretty helpful, you know, having a good amount of coconut oil or animal fats. And again, like to me, I, and I found fats sometimes can be very helpful to people, but for some, it can be a little bit over triggering and start creating too much loose stool. So sure. you, you kind of have to kind of balance that. But yeah, I mean, improving, getting enough fats in your diet, certainly sometimes what people use some, and I don't know if ever you, I've used these periodically as using like bitters to help yeah. with the bile production, but sometimes that can certainly be helpful. Yeah. And the bile is like your Dawn dish soap of your gut. So like you said, it really does get things moving. It kind of gloms onto all those different excess estrogens that are trying to be recycled and all the pathogens and toxins. And yeah, I've seen the bitters. And then also like a tea I love is sarsaparilla and coriander to really stimulate bile flow too. And I'm sure all the Ray Pete fans will love like steamed milk, like really warming up or steaming milk that can even help with bile production too. Um, do you deal with a lot of people with SIBO or any sort of bacterial overgrowth? And do you have any needle movers on that? So for SIBO, I would say carrot salad is always good. Um, Anything that's going to 
Well, and it's certainly sometimes if they have SIBO, then they have a, an increase of the endotoxin. <clears throat> so they have some of those toxins released from the bacteria. They can get into their blood system and so forth. Um, so I actually will like to use like Megaspore probiotics. I found okay, that that's quite helpful, certainly to lower endotoxin and help with SIBO. Um, a lot of times it's just removing those hard to digest foods and getting the bowel moving a little bit better. Um, certainly like cooked boiled mushrooms can be helpful or the bamboo shoots can be helpful. Um, a lot of people, I actually have to remove the starch or at least process or prepare the starch much better so that they can tolerate it. Because to me, when, when someone starts having a lot of GI dysfunction, maybe it's coming from somewhere else. Maybe it's coming from stress, right? And they're like, well, I I've been able to tolerate starch, but now I'm having more stress in my life. And so now, now things are starting to occur. I'm like, well, if you can't fix the stress or remove yourself or the stress is going to be there for a while, then let's look at the, the digestion and go, well, we might for now remove some of these foods that are ch more challenging on your system so that you can continue to have a good bowel function, even while you're under a little bit of stress, mm -hmm. right? Because you can always, you have two different things, right? You can take things off and you can add things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and, and any kind of equation of those can work. It doesn't always have to be, well, you have to remove all the stress for, for things to get fixed. I'm like, well, that can help. But sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes, you know, look, you're going to be in it for a bit. Maybe you have a project that's due and it's quite stressful and th this is the way out. So maybe, you know, you set other boundaries through your life, but maybe through this time period, maybe you just limit starch at nighttime. You know, I find that sometimes just the evening starch for some people can be beneficial because then they're not going to sleep and having it sit in the system. And, you know, it, so, or maybe it's, you need to just remove it all right now, or maybe we just need to prepare it differently. So I always find there's a bunch of different variables, but I, I personally find that starch for some people when they start having distress, it can be quite, uh, quite more irritating. Mm -hmm. And that is some of the thing that I'll always kind of bounce back and forth with. Yeah. And with regard to constipation, because that's something that you probably deal with. I hear it a lot anyway, a lot of people dealing with chron chronic constipation, um, other than things like the bile and improving the stomach acid and um, maybe even something like the getting rid of a lot of those lipopolysaccharides and kind of cleaning the gut out with the carrot salad and stuff. Have you found some needle movers with constipation or people that are suffering from that? Uh, yes. And, and that can actually, you know, SIBO and all those things can kind of be intertwined, mm -hmm. but sometimes I'll do one to four days of activated charcoal. Mm -hmm. And, um, that actually could make them a little bit more constipated initially for some people, but it's interesting because I have found some people that it actually moved them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because I think it also lowers endotoxin. And I think when you sometimes lower endotoxin, you can lower serotonin. And mm -hmm. so some people, if they have that kind of endotoxin serotonin happening that can create some loose stool so if you give them activated charcoal it can kind of back them up a little bit initially until they start moving but i think once you start moving those things out of there things will start to improve so i actually like you know i've used up to seven days of activated charcoal on people so really and i've had someone that had a colitis and that helped them a big time with the activated charcoal and really helped improve things um the other things for constipation, cascara sagrada is yeah, super helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, adding some different kinds of magnesium in can be helpful, I find. You know, we all know that too much magnesium can certainly create diarrhea, but it certainly can pull water into the bowel and help move mm -hmm. things through. 
Um, I am, you know, anything that helps, like, I'm a big believer in, look, we want to have, we want to get you to have a bowel movement any way we can. Like that, you know, initially, if we need to supplement and help things move through, let's get them moving because that's going to make you feel better. And then we can start addressing the other things. So, you know, like I said, small doses of cascara can really help with that. And as in the magnesium, um, the activated charcoal, and certainly again, the other thing is get the poofas out of your diet remove the processed foods, try to eat regularly. So you don't have a large amount of food going through you at one time, you know, it comes down to, again, digesting the food, chewing the food, eating slowly can help with constipation. I think so many people today, and I don't know, you know, if you talk to them, I'm always like, tell me about your day. And like, oh, I get up. And while I'm doing 18 other things, I'm trying to eat my meal. <laughs> And then I'm running out the door and then I'm just, you know, I'm like, when, so you don't sit. Like, no, I don't have time, you know? <laughs> you know, and then I'm in and I'm working and then I have to run errands and I'm trying to eat while I'm in my car driving and traffic. And I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. so then the million dollar question is like, okay, can we create space in <laughs> your day for you to eat? Right. Yeah. And sit. So your body isn't like, again, in stress mode already. How well do you think your body's going to digest that meal you just consume if you're yeah. like, running on the go while you're trying to do it now some people can do that um mm -hmm. and and be totally fine i mean mm -hmm. I, I forget there was like a, a a long distance runner and i forget his name but he like did like a 200 mile run by himself um i don't know if it's san francisco to la or what it was but he would eat like a whole pizza because he wouldn't stop while he was running and be totally oh fine right and i'm like good you know good for him but yeah. most people cannot do that <laughs> Right. No. Most people do not have that skill set. And again, if you think about your day and go, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm taking five minutes to eat my breakfast. And most mm -hmm. people are. Most people are not sitting down and eating and taking 30 minutes to consume their meal. Mm -hmm. um, they are chewing it in two bites and it's five or 10 minutes and they're running out the door. Yeah. So how they're eating it in the car while they're driving to work <laughs> and totally. it's like yeah you wonder how how you can you expect that little sphincter that that wants to release to let the poo out if you're not going to relax then that sphincter is not going to relax and so if you're feeling tight and tension guess what other area has tightness and tension that's not relaxing so and Absolutely. a lot of times I've worked with people on like what you're feeling on the outside like if you feel like your life is just too many irons in the fire I got so much going on it's like one thing after another you're kind of bloated in life that's when they'll start to feel bloated in their gut too because like you said they're eating on the go so there's not blood flow for digestion but also sometimes how we do anything is how we do everything so if your life is constipated if your body's full of toxins and you're constipated then maybe it's translating to your gut too 100 percent. So, yeah i think that's a that's a great point i mean i always tell people look your digestive system is what's keeping the outside from the inside, right? Like that's basically you're taking things in. I mean, certainly the, your lungs and your breathing as well, but so much of what you are intaking from the outside is going through your GI system. And that's why we say, you know, 80% of your immune system's there because that's mm -hmm. where everything goes into through your system. But for that to work optimally, you, it, your body needs to slow down. You cannot be running, you know, for indefinitely and expect good function. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen like you know, any of the habits we've created that have created dysfunction in our body, we didn't start yesterday. We've we've been slowly doing them for years or decades, and now we've created a system that is not working optimally, right? And so we have to sometimes unwind 
some of the things that we've been doing and say, look, do we want to have this heal? And we ha- we got to take some of the load off the system so that it can. It doesn't mean you need to sit in your house and do nothing for, you know, whatever. Although for some people, it may be beneficial. <laughs> but ultimately, we need, that's why we have weekends. You know, that's yeah. why we, we don't work eight, 15 hours a day, right? That's why we have boundaries. That's why we have breaks. That's why we take vacations. And I know you just said you, you went away for a few months to, to Florida, which is like, yeah, like that's amazing. That that keeps you able to continue to do what you do. Had you not done that, you would feel a lot different today, you know? And so, and not saying that everybody has that ability, but there are other things that you can do to help support yourself during these time periods, because just knowing, yeah, winter is gonna be more stressful on your system, right? We actually should be sleeping more during the winter. We don't have as much light. We get low vitamin D. It's just a more stressful time. But instead of making these adjustments, what do we do? We stay up later. We have fluorescent lights. We feel more stress. We tend to eat more. We, yeah. you know, we do all these things that actually exacerbate our, our symptoms and issues. And then when they're like, well, why do I feel so crappy? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> here you go. Right. Yeah. And so, but if we become aware of this, then we can start making different decisions that will support ourselves and then not be so kind of irritated with the situation. Cause I think people do get frustrated. They're like, you know, I was feeling good and now I'm not. And now and, da, 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 and everything sucks. And I'm like, Hey, look, we just need to kind of pull you back a little bit and get you more into that homeostatic space again, because yeah, there's winter and you, you know, we cannot have winter's going to happen unless you yeah. want to live in Australia half the year and you want to live in, you know, United States, the other half, you know, you're going to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. The Midwest is harsh, but like you said, or before the podcast, it's like even parts of California haven't been that much better this year. I think the the winter's just harsh everywhere. So totally. 100%. Yeah. Well, get that sun where you can. So let's switch gears to the blood sugar. Okay. So let's break down some biggest reasons for some blood sugar imbalances and then some needle movers with those. What have you seen? Oh gosh, blood sugar, I feel like is such a hot topic in today's space. Um, and because it is important and we, we do want to not have these blood sugar swings all the time. Um, certainly food, you know, carbohydrates are going to be your biggest blood sugar mover as far as food is concerned, because, you know, they all break down to glucose and what is blood sugar, blood glucose. So that's certainly going to be the most impactful. So if if you are having carbs in your diet, yeah, that's going to impact your blood sugar more than fats or proteins, but consuming high amounts of carbohydrates or refined carbohydrates or, you know, without enough protein and or fat is certainly going to impact your blood sugar more than just a, a complete meal, right? So you, you want to have all of your macronutrients together predominantly, and it kind of depends, right? So the other thing is when someone is stressed, um, they are going to have more blood sugar regularities than somebody who is not. Right. We also know that people will typically have higher blood sugars in the winter than in the summertime. We know that uh, low vitamin D will actually create higher blood sugar levels. There's a lot of other reasons that you can have blood sugar dysregulation other than just the food that you are ingesting. But mm-hmm. certainly if you are already stressed and then you eat a ton of carbohydrates without enough protein and fat, then yeah, you can get a massive blood sugar swing. So you kind of have to pay attention to that and go, well, if when I'm having, you know, so we need to look at your meal and go, 
is there too much carbs to fat the protein in there? Or, you know, do we need to eat slower because how quickly you eat your meal will impact your blood sugar. If you are consuming your meal in five minutes and eating all of those calories at one one time, you will get more of a swing in that blood sugar than if you took time to eat that meal and let it digest more slowly into your system. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of different variables that we can look at that are going to impact how well your body manages glucose. Mm-hmm. And as you age and as the system becomes more stressed, people tend to become more glucose intolerant and they can't manage it properly. And then there, if you go into the bioenergetic space, you find like, well, you know, is it just that there's too much glucose and there's now it's pushing the insulin, the insulin's not working as well. So the glucose can't get into the cell. And then that, you know, eventually you're going to become insulin resistant. Uh, Insulin's high now, glucose is high now, and then you're pre-diabetic to diabetic. And that certainly can happen, but then theories are, well, what else could be happening that could be impacting how well your body is utilizing the carbohydrates? And then we can go back into go, well, it could be gut dysfunction. We know that endotoxemia and high levels of endotoxin, once they get into the blood system, are going to impact how well your cells utilize glucose. Mm-hmm. So that alone, and I think because, you know, if you look at people that have had um, like bariatric surgery and they've removed parts of their stomach and their GI system, if they were diabetic, they like initially improve. Like, Mm -hmm. and they're non-diabetic quite quickly. And so they're like, well, is it just because they've removed this area of the GI system that was creating a lot of, or absorbing a lot of endotoxin? And that's one theory. Um, Certainly fatty liver. If you have a fatty liver, that's also going to impact blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a pancreas that's fatty. So certainly being overweight in itself doesn't always mean that, but certainly if you are, that can certainly impact blood sugar levels because your body isn't, maybe it's not producing enough insulin. Um, but the other theory in general is that if you are stressed a lot, you are going to have more fat in the blood. And if you have more fat in the blood, that alone can inhibit your usage of, of sugar. So mm-hmm. those things tend to compete. You probably heard about the Randall cycle. Mm-hmm. When those things tend to compete, then if there's high fat in the blood, the sugar is unable to get into the cell, which will eventually look like high blood sugar levels and create that whole insulin uh, response or insulin resistance and go into the the diabetic state. So that's why on some level they've utilized therapeutically and not suggesting anyone do it, but certainly going like very low fat um, can actually improve the diabetic state. And they've shown that in extreme like vegan diets or very low fat diets where they've actually removed all the fat. Essentially, now you don't have fat coming into the blood system, which allows the system to utilize the carbohydrates better. And then lo and behold, blood sugar levels out, A1C decreases. And so that's, I think one good example, just to showing, hey, look, it's not necessarily the carbohydrate. They're there, they're in the blood, but they're not creating the problem. <laughs> they're just getting the fingers pointed at them because that's what we're measuring. But that might not necessarily be the reasoning that you're having all these blood sugar issues. Oh, I love that you said that. And there is, there's just so many different schools of thought on blood sugar or in, in regards to insulin too. Don't stimulate your insulin and that's how you'll keep lean. You know, the whole keto low carb movement, 
But I've seen people come out of that and be insulin resistance because they haven't had any carbs. And then they start eating carbs. And we do, we have to take them so low fat because now all of this, the the polyunsaturated are coming out into the bloodstream and you're seeing blood sugar numbers go up because now their body's like, I don't even remember how to release insulin. It's been so long. So it's like, there's all these different schools of thought that around insulin and glucose. And I love the bioenergetic standpoint of like, we, if you go out in nature, naturally you're going to find more carbohydrate sources than any other food source for humans. I mean, you can, you can be carnivore if you want to, you can be keto if you want to, but in nature, if you, if we didn't have grocery stores and we didn't have convenience stores, you're going to have to go out and you're going to mainly find carbohydrates. So it might stand to reason that humans actually do need to digest carbohydrates. And that's what we were kind of made to digest along with the other things, but in a proper balance. Now, as far as like people experiencing things like weight loss after, you know, introducing, maybe they've switched from a keto to a lower fat, higher carb approach and they have weight loss and they're seeing the bloodstream kind of have more fats from weight loss. Have you seen that to where they start releasing some toxic fats? They start releasing PUFAs, but it's kind of making the blood sugars stay elevated for a time. Have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen it. Like I've worked with people post carnivore and, mm -hmm. or post keto and, and usually, you know, they maybe went on it for some of them going, I mean, I've, and I've read a lot about carnivore because it's certainly half the, half of what it's doing is because you're not having any fibers, right? So if you already have a lot of gut issues and you mm -hmm. remove anything that's going to be irritating, and especially, you know, because again, a lot of people have these autoimmune issues again, because our GI system is where our immune system is. And now you're not irritating at all because you've removed all the fibers. All of a sudden they're, they're rectified, right? Their autoimmune issues are going away. Their mm -hmm. skin issues are going away. They feel better. There's a lot of things that improve with this person's life. But right. what I found is that two, three, four years, maybe into it, they start having all these other issues and it could be mm -hmm. hormonally related or hair starts falling out. And so a lot of them get constipated. I mean, we definitely know that their cholesterol levels get a little bit out of whack, not all of them, but mm -hmm. they can have some little wacky cholesterol levels. But ultimately what I find is that when we start introducing carbohydrates initially, yeah, they almost look pre-diabetic. I mean, their blood sugars go up pretty darn high. And so a lot of them do wear CGMs, the continuous glucose monitors, and you start seeing glucose responses bump up, you know, into the 180s, almost 200s, right? And these people are not, patho uh, they're, they're, they're just having kind of a physiological response. So it's, it's not like they have diabetes, but they're showing these numbers because their bodies, again, maybe they haven't been utilizing insulin for long periods of time. So, and we know that we know when people go low carbohydrate and then they add them back in, like they have a slow response. Mm -hmm. And so their, their blood sugars go up quite high. And I've, I've seen this on people that are promoting, um, low carb diets and then they wear their CGMs and then they go on social media and they go, look, I just consumed all these sugars and look what my blood sugar did. Sugar is bad. And I'm like, well, you actually just had a, a an abnormally high response. Like a, that's a bad response. That almost tells me that you're intolerant to glucose. That's all that tells right, me it doesn't right. mean that glucose is necessarily bad. It just says that you, because you're probably low carb, you have a slow response to insulin. Blood sugar is going to elevate much higher than it should. Mm -hmm. And what we also know is that normally those people, if they don't have actually illness or some sort of pathology that's creating that, 
they over time will correct that mm -hmm. their body will relearn and they'll have better insulin responses and blood sugars will start to level out. But mm -hmm. yeah, normally a lot of times is you can slowly introduce the carbs that you still get those spikes. And mm -hmm. so you, you go the other swing the other way and you go, well, let's lower the fat down a lot and give you more carbohydrates and see what happens. And a lot of times that corrects it. Yeah. All of a sudden you start seeing normal blood sugar levels. So it's, it's pretty fascinating actually. What are your thoughts on the CGMs, the continuous glucose monitors? Yeah. So those, and I'm, you know, I'm glad we, I know we were talking about, we're going to talk about these. Um, <clears throat> there's like a love hate with those things. I, I think they can give people some good data. Mm -hmm. The problem I have with them is their recommended numbers, right? I think they, they say, try to keep your blood sugar numbers under 110. Mm -hmm. And so they suggest anywhere from 70 to 110. So normal blood sugar levels uh, are basically 70 to 140. And that's mm -hmm. what we consider normal. So if somebody is going to put a CGM on and try to actually keep it down under 110, well, they're probably not going to consume a lot of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So I feel what's going to happen is these people are going to be kind of pushed into eating quite low carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And again, what, what do we know when people do that? Right. So if let's just say you're eating a standard American diet and you put a CGM on and you're like, Oh my God, you know, I'm getting these 140 numbers. I, if I remove all the carbohydrates now I'm low. Well, what ends up happening is they end up possibly eating better, but they definitely end up eating less. So mm -hmm. they end up losing weight. And then they're like, this is the greatest thing on the planet. Mm -hmm. What my worry is, and what I've seen with some people is they start to have a fear around anytime their blood sugar gets above 110. And Amen. so they actually get quite stressed around it because mm -hmm. it's literally like the CGM will give you a reading every, I think five minutes. And so you can check it, check it, check it. So imagine you know, what the scale has done. Again, I'm not against a scale. I think that's getting a weight is an interesting data point, but what if you weighed yourself every five minutes? Do you think <sighs> that would create some level of neurological stress factor in your system mm -hmm. that your body's being triggered constantly? Like, oh, 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 like, so I, I think if, you know, people decide to wear these things all the time, do I think it can contribute to some level of eating disorder? Totally it can, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, and we don't know, like we haven't really studied them with healthy people. We've obviously utilized them with diabetics. I think they can be good data points for them, but for a healthy individual to wear a CGM all the time and, and then see if that actually improves your life and longevity and health markers, we, we don't know. We don't have that information yet, um, you know, because now we're just focusing on this one marker. And we all know that one marker can't tell you everything about your health, right? It does give you some information. But again, if you don't understand that your blood sugar can be impacted by a lot of other variables outside mm -hmm. of just the carbohydrates, then you're going to make all your decisions based on what you're putting into your system. And then, and that might not be the right choice for you long-term, right? And so what I see is I think all, you know, a lot of people are going to wear them. They're going to make choices. They might lose weight because we all know that when you go on a low carb diet, you will lose weight. You might feel better because maybe you're eliminating a bunch of crappy food from your diet. So that there's nothing wrong with that. But what is it going to happen longer term with these individuals? Are they going to start being obsessive? Is it going to start creating more stress in their life? You know, like what is going to happen? And we, we don't know.
Okay. So there's so many things I want to unpack there. And I'm just so happy that you said what you said about a love-hate relationship, because I feel the same way. And the variables is so important because it isn't just the food that you're eating. And even it isn't just the daily stress, because the issue I have with them is that there's a lot of data around how um, different forms of EMF radiation and these are connected from your arm to your Bluetooth on your phone that are the data is out there that Bluetooth and certain things like EMF, certain frequencies can affect your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so, and it is a stress response. These frequencies are a stressor to the body. So my problem is we don't know, like you said, there's not enough data on CGMs to know how much of it is stressing our body to wear this little device and send the data to the phone daily throughout the day. Like you said, you can get it every Every five minutes, if you want to, you can ping right to your phone as much as you want to, and then have that stressor be what's causing the sugars to go up. And you think, oh, I just ate a tortilla. Well, I guess I can't eat a tortilla now because my sugars went up. But what if it wasn't that? We have no idea of knowing. And so it, I think you're so spot on when you say it can create this this bigger stress response because now they become obsessive about the tendencies or even an eating disorder of some sort or some sort of continuous um, thought process around, oh my gosh, I can't get my sugars down. And sugars for, for one person may be completely healthy in, in the, like 140 range, 120 range, and may be completely too high for someone else. So we have to keep in mind the bio-individuality, but you're not going to hear that when they put the CGM on you or give it to you. They're just going to be, oh, here's your range. This is what you have to be in, like you said. Yeah, you know, it's a, an interesting data point. I think it can help some people understand maybe if they aren't feeling well through the day, if they feel like they're, they're constantly having high or low blood sugars, it can be some awareness you can you can also just use you know a glucose monitor too you can go get and do some pinpricks through the day check it mm -hmm. in an hour and two after an hour two, one or two hours after your food so you can see the responses that you're getting and that way you're not having that constant <laughs> uh pinging all day you know again <laughs> Um, and and, and it, for some people, it is nice to see what is happening in the morning too, right? Because if you start having that dawn phenomenon, which is when you start having elevated blood glucose in the mornings, right? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't eaten for eight or nine hours, then we usually know it's not your food, right? Mm -hmm. We know that you're, you're having a stress response in the morning and your body is now having elevated, you know, probably increasing fat in the morning and increasing blood sugar and your body is unable to utilize it. So you're getting that elevation in blood sugar level. So that certainly can tell us something. Of course, you can also just measure that. You can just wake up and, and get a glucose meter and check it then. So I think we have to be careful with a lot of these things because like I said, we haven't studied and they're becoming marketed now to everyone and anyone. And you certainly see people wearing them all the time and, and you know, and, and doing their little videos on look at this, look what it's creating, look at this, you know, glucose response. And, uh, you know, and again, we got to take it with a grain of salt and say it is data, but that isn't the entire picture, right? I mean, if you're having a poor response to glucose, it's not the glucose, it's your system. And so what is going on in your system that could be creating that response? Yes, you can remove all carbohydrates and you will get better numbers, 100%, right? Mm -hmm. If you remove it, you will flatline out, the blood glucose levels will get better. But if you haven't addressed why are you having that poor response, then once you introduce carbohydrates back in, you're going to have that response, if not worse. And so unless you plan on going carnivore or keto, the rest of your life. And, and again, I'm not 
if that works for somebody, hey, more power to you. Like I think, it, but that can certainly resolve that situation. But for a lot of people, that's not kind of how they want to live. So you kind of mm-hmm. need to talk about, well, why, why are you having this? And a lot of times, you know, and I see it is that people have stress galore chronically in their life for decades. And I'm like, well, yeah, so we can kind of assume, you know, that this can be a response. So can we address some of that? And, you know, that has to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're, we're feeling what Ray Pete was always trying to reiterate is he's like, yeah, I'm going to share with you this data and this data, but it really goes back to the stress. Like at some point you guys are going to have to address the stress from all aspects of your life, including something like having a device attached to you. At some point there is going to be stressors from a non-native device attached to you. And yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that for certain schools of people, maybe they feel better doing keto or carnivore. I use carnivore myself when I had my thyroid issue, but I used it for a short amount of time to bring my thyroid to give, you know, kind of flood my body with amino acids. So I can see how all of these different modalities can help someone. And you see the bio-individual side. We also have to take into note that we were, we're omnivores. We're designed to eat a diversity of foods, which creates a diverse gut. And at some point you might want to get back there to where you can enjoy all genres of food versus just one or two. So um let's let's skip on to the thyroid now like as far as like women's health and weight loss and trying to increase their thyroid what are some some needle movers with the thyroid other than i mean the obvious supplementing thyroid we all know is one of ray pete's favorite um tips too so what would you say he, he did love that the thyroid you know and i mean <laughs> And even doing some desiccated ones that you can get naturally can yeah. sometimes really help support. I, I don't think there's sure. any harm in, in trying those things. I think that you should always probably work on your food first mm-hmm. and, you know, and it comes down back to balancing your blood sugar, getting the, you know, enough food into your system. So if you try thyroid, because I always tell people, look, thyroid is the thing that's going to increase your energy production or slow it down, mm-hmm. right? It's either going to speed things up or it's going to say, no. And so if you put that into your system and you don't have the fuel available to you or the structure is already very stressed then you will get that like a worse response. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen that people all of a sudden feel very hyperadrenaline. They actually mm-hmm. get more agitated. It makes them feel so much worse. And so it's not always the answer. And then, you know, and I hate to kind of be a broken record, but a lot of it is like, okay, if you have an enormous amount of stress in the system, you've got to kind of address some of that. And so and that can be removing some of the stress, but then it's looking at their diet and go, all right, are, are we eating enough? A, you know, are you getting enough calories in your system to support the demands put, uh, put upon it? And, yeah. and, or are you even capable? Are you digesting, absorbing these foods, right? Cause we can have the best diet, but if your GI system isn't digesting and then absorbing things and it's kind of irrelevant, right? We're just kind of excreting everything. So th- then that goes back to GI function, right? And then it goes down to, what's going on in your blood. So we can talk about the blood sugar levels, right? If your body has, has too much fat in the blood and you're unable to utilize the carbohydrate to get in the cell, there's going to be a problem there. And then that's going to just lead into this tidal wave of chronic stress. And then it's like, well, what's happening at the cell, right? Can the cell utilize the energy? So, you know, certainly getting enough B vitamins, making sure they're eating at liver, getting enough vitamin A is super important. So some of those fat soluble nutrients are super supportive for thyroid. Um, addressing the liver because right most of our thyroid hormone is converted in the liver to the active thyroid so if that Mm -hmm. liver is 
backed up or we got fatty liver or, you know, there's alcohol or there's medications that are all kind of affecting it, then we kind of need to address that, which goes back to then making sure there's enough calories coming into the diet, making sure there's enough protein coming into the diet because the diet, the, the liver certainly needs enough protein. Again, with the B vitamins, um, I think I like to use caffeine sometimes. Caffeine can be really helpful to kind of help kind of give a thyroid-like effect if they can basically, again, have enough uh, calories coming in. And again, sometimes having that desiccated thyroid can be super supportive and kind of help push things around or push things along to help support the system. But I think to me, that's usually the last space to go when I kind of go to thyroid function. Um, I also like red light therapy. And that, yeah, I think that can be very helpful to people. So maybe it's sitting in front of a red light for 10, 20 minutes, a couple of hours before you go to bed or in the morning can be super supportive, making sure um, they have enough vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that again, low vitamin D can definitely create some level of hypothyroidism. And so whether if you can't get enough sun, then do we need to supplement with vitamin D? I'm certainly not afraid to supplement with vitamin D. I think some people really benefit from it. I just like, again, vitamin D works very closely with vitamin A, vitamin K. So we need to make sure those other nutrients are in your diet. So beef liver, beef liver, beef liver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe some Gouda cheese or Jarlsberg cheese. I've been using Jarlsberg cheese a lot because it has a high amount of vitamin K in it. And or supplementing with vitamin K. Um, I think all those can be super helpful. Yeah, I love the red light piece because there's so much data behind that too. There's a lot of data behind red light and thyroid. And even if somebody doesn't have a red light, the sun has red light. And like you were mentioning, like the the vitamin D piece for the thyroid is so important. So you're getting twofold, like you're affecting your thyroid and you're getting the vitamin D and the sun has the red light that you need. So getting it at certain times a day, not just one time a day. So you're getting the different spectrums. I mean, I just love sending people out into the sun because, okay, you won't take a supplement, fine. You won't, uh, you know, change your eating, fine. Go outside every day as much as you can and get sunlight and your thyroid will improve to some extent. Now, the more T's and you you cross and I's you dot, the more you're going to get, you know, a bigger bang for your buck. But when it comes to thyroid, I really love the sun. I love nature because all of that goes back to that stress piece, calming you down. We're made to be outside. So I think it's such a huge piece. And and also circadian rhythm, getting creating that rhythm for your body. So the thyroid calms down or the body calms down. The nervous system goes, here's morning, here's evening. Okay, I know what to expect. I like rhythm. I like to be where I'm at. So yeah, I love those are great tips for the thyroid because it is such a master gland. Every cell of our body has vitamin D and thyroid receptors on it. So we need to make sure that those two are coming in in tandem. Now, yeah. so we had a question, um, a listener asked you maybe some of the most important or a couple of the most important supplements that people should definitely be including. And I think one of those is minerals when we're talking about the thyroid too. Minerals are huge cofactors for the thyroid, but what would what would you say is something that thyroid or any genre of the of the health realm that we're talking about today blood sugar and gut what are some of your favorite supplements beef liver obviously <laughs> yeah i mean I, you know i i am all food initially right so yes. food 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 so and then it can if if they won't take certain foods right let's just say they won't take beef liver i mean right. i i do think a desiccated beef liver can be helpful it certainly i, I mean i try to get everyone any way they can to get the beef liver in. Cause mm-hmm. I just, 
find that it is such a good supplement, has so many nutrients in it, your vitamin A, your copper, your V vitamin, your B vitamins. And so, and it's so cheap, right? You can get a, yeah. a month's worth of beef liver for five dollars, sure. but desiccated liver supplements will cost you fifty. And mm-hmm. so, look, like try and get that in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I look, let's see, I'm just trying to think about kind of what I like to take. So, I periodically will take different things. One of them is I like to take methylene blue periodically, especially during the winter time. I like to take it around when I'm traveling. Um, and I do do that with red light. I feel yeah. like that is super supportive for, to my energy systems during the summer or during the winter time, or particularly, you know, it can work as an antiviral. So I, I definitely like yeah. to use it when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, during the winter will definitely take vitamin D. Um, I will supplement anywhere from five to 10,000 units, depending on how much light I can get. I also like to check my D at the end of the summer versus the end of winter, because it, I would check it before I would supplement and I would drop 20 points. Sure. So it would go down. And I don't think people realize how much you you use your D during the, the winter time. And Absolutely. so if, if you have a short summer, you're in a Northern latitude, let's just say you get three hours. I mean, I work with some Canadian people. They don't have a lot of access and then they're mm-hmm. right back into fully dressed, closed, cold weather. Yeah. And so we can assume, you know, unless you were getting an ample amount of D during the summertime, you're going to start getting depleted during the winter and you yeah. see it, you know, it, it seems like around January, people just start to not feel as well. Yeah. So D to me is a really important one, but again, we want to make sure that you are consuming enough vitamin A and K with that supplement. So that's get your beef liver in. Um, so those are some important ones for me. Um, sometimes I, I do like megaspore for digestive stuff. If they mm-hmm. have endo, any sort of endotoxin or loose stool, I think it works really, really well with a lot of people. Um, it's a, a fairly affordable supplement you can get on Amazon. And that to me works really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. I also love activated charcoal. If I ever get sick or if, if people seem to get something, you know, bacteria, virus, something, I usually will have them do a few days of activated charcoal, kind of clean mm-hmm. everything out. Uh, it is a binder. So you try want to try to take away from uh, food because it will bind to minerals. So you don't want to take it consistently, but I find it super helpful to people. Yeah. Um, I will take vitamin E periodically. Um, I think that is also super helpful. I, I definitely take it around anytime there's like levels of radiation around me. Mm-hmm. Um, getting x-rays, I always take vitamin E. Um, if people are starting to lose weight, I think taking vitamin E can be certain, certainly helpful because if they start to dump PUFA into their blood system, can work in that antioxidant effects. You know, it's one thing that if you kind of eat a bioenergetic diet, it is not very high in vitamin E. Um, and it's, a lot of it is because we don't consume a lot of PUFAs and those things seem to go together. The foods that have high PUFA seem to have more vitamin E, like your nuts and seeds. So if you start eliminating some of those, you don't get tons of vitamin E. And I remember like Dr. Pete always saying that you probably needed a probably about a hundred IUs a day and not five, six, seven, 8,000. I mean, some people are like mega dosing <laughs> vitamin E, but a minimal dose. And mm-hmm. so you don't need massive doses of vitamin E. So if you have a bigger uh, supplement, maybe you can take it, you know, every other day. Um, certainly if women are cycling. They seem to do pretty good on vitamin E as well. Yeah. Um, but those I would say kind of my, my top ones that I like to use. 
Those are great. The kindred spirit with the methylene blue, because I was just at a um, a beach house in North Carolina with like nine other women, every including two babies, and every single one of them got some sort of cold coffee thing where they were just hacking, and I just pounded methylene blue. <laughs> I mean, I was probably smurf tongue for the whole week I was there, but I mm-hmm. did not get that, and I was the only person in a house full of women that did wow. not get that, so... Yeah, it was the, I owe it all to methylene blue because I'm like, whatever virus they were passing around, it was like, it bypassed me because of the blue, so. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, and it's hard because I mean, on some level, I always feel like when I take it too, I feel like I'm good. Like, I think my brain, I think there's some nervous system response. You, there could be a a partial placebo response. I just think thinking that you're protected, you become protected, right? So there's benefits on both sides. Yeah. No, I love it. No, the great suggestions too. And magnesium is always one on my list. I like to share with people too, because I just find that with minerals in general, especially magnesium, everybody's deficient. So you might as well just find some way of supplementing it, whatever makes you feel good, topical or oral. Yeah, I think that. And I actually, in getting for blood sugars, I think glycine can actually work really well too. I've used Mm. glycine with people. Um, There's a lot of research that 12 I got a phone that's going off. Excuse me. <laughs> um, Twelve to fifteen grams—it's a high amount, and you can do it in, in collagen as well. But taking it throughout the day with food can impact and lower blood sugar levels. So it's something you can take directly if you're starting to have some blood sugar issues. It's a considerable amount. It's like a little over a quarter of a teaspoon. Sorry, it's a little over at one and quarter teaspoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, three times a day, but mm-hmm. I've certainly shown that it can lower blood sugar levels fairly well without making a lot of, and still keeping your carbohydrates in. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that's, I don't think that's one thing that people think about for sleep. Sometimes they think of, or they think about it for sleep. They don't necessarily think about it for blood sugar. So um, we had a couple of more questions from listeners. I wanted to throw in as we wrap up here, because I reached out to uh, some of the podcast listeners and said, anybody got any questions? So I just took a few of them and added them in here. But uh, Denko asks, uh, would you be able to speak about food combining? Do you feel like there's any need for certain food combining? Personally, I think your stomach is very capable of handling uh, foods at all at once. Meaning, you know, do you meaning are you saying, well, you should have just this and this? Now, for blood sugar, yeah, then having some protein, fat, carbs is going to help blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly thought processes of like eating protein, fat before you have your carbohydrates to lower kind of the glucose response. Mm -hmm. And I think that can have some sort of impact too, especially if you're not able to handle a a huge amount of carbohydrates at one time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as far as food combining, I think you can, right? I don't think you need to eat your macronutrients separately. I think your stomach is very capable of handling all of those things at one time. You have hydrochloric acid, you have enzymes in there. You can have all those foods at one, one time. It shouldn't create a problem. Now, can some foods create problems independently? Most definitely. And mm-hmm. they can just be harder on your system. And can independently eating foods create more blood sugar issues? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. having a high carbohydrate meal with very little fat, no protein can certainly create a, a, a higher blood sugar level and a large calorically dense meal can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, your body is very capable of handling all foods and 
as long as you continue to give it in, in, in good amounts and, and whole foods, then it should continue, right? With also taking into consideration your stress load, right? Because it, when the body is under considerable amount of stress, your body will not handle uh, food as well because the digestive process is sluggish and slow and you're not producing as much hydrochloric acid or enzymes or bile or all those things that basically help you. And so you just have to take that into consideration. But, you know, bottom line, uh, I think you should be able to eat foods together with no problem. Yeah, I agree that I think if we think about logically found in nature, like let's say you found an apple or an orange hanging from a tree, you're not usually also going to see on that same tree something that's really super high fat, like a lot of the nuts and seeds that really in the in the pro-metabolic span of health, we don't really eat those foods together. But in a lot of um, different diet genres, they do like nuts and seeds and fruit all mixed together. You're putting a high amounts of PUFA in, in with this really sugary fructose, um, you know, food. So I think fruit is better off, like you said, mixed with a protein. I've even seen, you know, melons really do better sometimes in some people by themselves and you wait maybe about 30 or 40 minutes and then have something with some more fat and protein because melon, specifically like cantaloupe digest really fast. So your, your body will use it up real fast and not store anything unless you're doing it alongside heavy amounts of, you know, nut butters and nuts and seeds, which hopefully most of the listeners aren't doing. That. So yeah, yeah the diversity is super important, having all those three macronutrients uh, throughout your day for sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting to present because, you know, especially when we're referencing blood sugar, I mean, there's a, there's a level of when you eat co food combining that can like slow, right? So if you have a bunch of fat and protein with your carbohydrates, it can slow down how quickly the carbohydrates get into your system. At the same time, if you have a lot of fat and protein with your carbohydrates and all that fat floods into the blood system, along with the carbohydrate, once it get in there, it can stay in there longer than you would like if you were having if you already have too much fat in the blood already. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a dual consideration and kind of depends on your physiology. Um, you know, if you're just looking at on the, the back end of, of what it's happening in the stomach into the GI, not kind of saying, okay, this is going to slow down. But if mm -hmm. we don't really understand your physiology, because a lot of these recommendations to people that say, Hey, you know, eat tons of fat with mm -hmm. th this carbohydrate to slow it down. But in the wrong individual, when that fat and carbs enters the blood system, now they're competing you mm -hmm. actually might see excessively high blood sugar levels because their body already has a considerable amount of fat in the blood and that's mm -hmm. going to start inhibiting the usage. So just know you kind of have to take that physiological individuality into consideration. Yeah, bio-individuality for sure. So we're at almost, what, almost an hour and a half here. So we better wrap up. I'm going to do one more listener question because this was a really good one. You've probably heard this one a lot too. But um, NC Girl Nineify asks, why does progesterone make me gain weight? It is, a, is it a liver issue? So what about that? You hear that from different people, or at least I have heard from different women that progesterone actually puts on the weight, but you have to look at it from two different aspects. Is this a person that probably has been maybe malnourished and they've needed to put on some weight? Or is it there? Is there an aspect of progesterone that actually can mimic some weight gain in the body? What do you say? I think that's a good question. And I think it, a lot of it can depend. So my experience is that a, you know, if, if somebody kind of finds this way and they're, they're like, oh, I hear progesterone is really good. And they don't even kind of address the food part of things. And they automatically just take progesterone. 
I think some people can get kind of an estrogenic response, if, especially if their really? body hasn't been producing it. We know that for estrogen to stay out of the tissue, you need progesterone. And when mm-hmm. it when there's not enough progesterone, estrogen tends to sequester into the tissue. So by adding progesterone into their system, into their blood system, all of a sudden now you're getting estrogen being pulled from the blood into the, or excuse me, out of the cells into the blood. And that can create, I think, some level of edema. And I, and I almost think it's an estrogenic response mm-hmm. versus the progesterone response. And that's why maybe, you know, and I see some people actually feel worse. They all, they take progesterone, they get hot sure. flashes or they sure. have sleep issues and they have heart palpations. And the question is, well, is it the progesterone or is it the effect that it's having on the tissue pulling the estrogen out? And now you're getting more of an estrogenic response. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts are, and what I see is like, you, sometimes we have to pull that back and do other things, right? We need to make sure, hey, are you detoxifying properly? Let's make sure that you actually go in the bathroom properly. Because if now you start trying to detoxify the system and now you got all this estrogen circulating through you, let's just say you're not pooping or your liver is kind of backed up, then your body's not going to know what to do with all these things. And all of a sudden you get a bunch of edema and you start gaining weight. Um, you know, when, and, and when people say I, I gain weight, I'm always like, well, what does that even mean? Right. Because <laughs> weight is not just, right. weight can be fat, can be digestive Muscle. stuff. It can be water. Yeah. It can be a lot of, and, and usually if it's happening really quickly, you know, like, oh my God, I gained like five or 10 pounds in one week. And I'm like, well, that's not fat, right? We're mm-hmm. not going to gain, unless you've just been eating a copious amount of food, we're probably just putting on water, a lot of it, right? You're, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and estrogen will do that. It will create some level of edema in your system. And so you will feel heavier. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the other thing is, right, are you, because the other question of this, is like, okay, what else are you doing? You're taking progesterone, but did you all of a sudden come up from a restrictive eating diet and now you've changed your diet and now you're eating more and maybe you're just eating more food and in the combination of the progesterone, that's creating the weight gain. Like, mm-hmm. is there some level of combination of things going on? Because something that, um, and I think I told you last time that I'm in the middle of writing a second book. And mm-hmm. part of what I come to the conclusion with from writing the first one is people want a better understanding of where to start because I think they, they, they find this approach, they jump in and all of a sudden a lot of them gain weight. And mm-hmm. like, how can we prevent that? And what do they need to do? Do we need better metrics? And so I think trying to understand where you're currently at, like, okay, where should you start calorically? If you've been eating 1200 calories, you don't, maybe you need 2000, but if you go to 2000 immediately, your body's on like, we don't know what to do with all this. We're just <laughs> store it, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? So we need a progressive of like, where do we start? How many should we eat? How quickly should we go? So we yeah. start to slow and steady. And so, you know, that's kind of where I wanted to help with people with is kind of give them a, a little bit more information on, okay, where are the metrics here? Where should you go? What, what should you start with? Because again, if you're, you know, if you start taking progesterone, but then you're also, oh, I'm eating all the foods, you know, is it the progesterone that's creating the weight gain? Or is it you're just eating more than your body can handle right now? And you're taking progesterone and maybe your body can't detoxify properly. And you're getting a little bit of a, an estrogen issue and it's kind of recirculating through your system like where is it going and so there could be a lot of different mechanisms that could be occurring that creating that response and I don't know I don't know what was what was your experience well no everything you said is spot on because like this what this individual you know we need more data 
if it sounds like she understands that it's not typical weight for her. So she needs to rule out like, did you put on muscle? Have you been doing heavy resistance training? Is it more towards you're getting ready to start your period? And that's when you feel, because I have found with a lot of women that that luteal phase, you typically are starting to put on a few more pounds before the period drops out. And then maybe in your follicular phase, you're actually like, feeling a little leaner. I mean, I have found that with a lot of women, you, those last two weeks are a little heavier and the first two weeks are a little lighter because you of the hormonal shift. I mean, you can, you can switch with hormones five to seven different pounds on your body just from hormone fluctuations and water retention and so forth. So assuming she's ruled all those out, uh, it, it could be, my only experience has been like uh, myself included, I don't do well on just progesterone alone. It's almost like my body doesn't metabolize it correctly. And so if I take a form of it, such as that six keto P4 that Georgie Dinkoff has on Idea Labs, it's already broken down into that usable form. My body just sucks it right up and I get a lot more benefit from that than I do just typical progesterone. It helps with my sleep. It helps with my just overall period flow and everything. So it could be something like that, but I like what you were saying about how there's, there's different also other factors that go into it, like the blood sugar and the thyroid and what, how many calories that she could be consuming or adding in because maybe she's reverse dieting herself out of chronic restriction. So, you know, stay the course, you know, don't give up on progesterone. I always say that, give it a chance. Cause a lot of people, like you said, they'll try it for two or three days and they're like, I'm, I'm enraged. Like, I just want to kill everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> well, first you got to kick that progesterone is going to kick out a lot of estrogen that's been in the holding tank. It's going to kick out of a lot of adrenaline in the holding tank. And then if you'll give it a chance, it can actually, in a few days, you're going to feel a lot calmer or a lot more relaxed and that sleep piece is going to come in. So um, I'm sure you've seen that in people, just kind of that aspect of it gets a little yeah. worse before it gets better. So it can. And I, I remember when the first time I took it, that's it. It made me worse before I got better. Yeah. And so that's how I kind of know. I actually, I think I, I broke out in a rash and I just think that I was having such an estrogenic response from it yes. that I had an entire skin thing happening to me. So, um, but in time and I, I, then I would, I actually wound it back. I started doing a much lower dose and to see what I could tolerate and kind of give it a little bit more tan, uh, yeah. chance. And then I kind of, kind of dose myself back up and that seemed to help. So that's another way you could approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the, you know, you made a good point was it there are different types and brands and some people respond differently to some, some people like the ones that might be in some sort of MCT oil, some like, mm-hmm. you know, Ray's that's in vitamin E. Yeah. Um, obviously you like uh, that Georgie's uh, it's not even progesterone. Yeah. Well, it's like it? the meta- it's like made already into the metabolite because I just don't yeah. think I metabolize it. So it's that six keto P4. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's an, another thing to try. And, and I mean, the, the interesting about this approach, it, it is very trial and error, right? Because you are an individual and you might not respond exactly like somebody else will respond. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, this is, try this. This is what could happen. And this is what we've seen. Good chances you might respond appropriately, but there might be a chance you don't. But all that's going to do is give you information about another step that you might need to take, or maybe you're not ready, or maybe you need to make sure you do something else. Cause I've definitely seen that with people, you know? And so, but definitely, you know, as we've kind of had this discussion, I like that we've discussed all of these kind of pathways. It's like, look, if you take any of these kind of supplements and hormones or whatever, and you have 
chronic constipation or a lot of GI issues, like you might want to stop the, stop the bus, right? Because <laughs> Because I think, and I've also seen this, is a lot of people are taking a ton of supplements and they're, they have horrible GI distress. And yet all those supplements could be just exacerbating their GI distress. So you're not getting any benefit from them. So it's like, look, try to fix some of the GI issues first. Make sure you're going to the bathroom appropriately with good form and so forth. And then kind of work yourself back up and maybe address some of the blood sugar issues, maybe some detoxification issues, right? Look at some of the nervous system stuff. And then when you've kind of feel like I've gone a lot of different avenues or you've done as much as you can in those areas, then maybe, you know, add a supplement in and see if you can get an effect from it. Um, but I think we have to kind of layer things so that, that we don't overburden the system if it's not even able to, to go to the bathroom regularly. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They're like immediate is supplement, you know, and, um, and then they're like, well, this doesn't work. Or sometimes it does, right. Sometimes yeah. they can have a pretty traumatic effect with these supplements. Yeah, stellar good tip because it's like what you were saying earlier about sometimes they're doing all the things and they don't know what's working or what's not working. And so sometimes just starting with one thing and that that's great for women in general is because they tend to be all or nothing. Like, let me do all the things at the same time, even though I've got all these other things going on. So I'm going to be super stressed out and I'm really going to quit all this in about two to three weeks. Instead, maybe just focusing on, all right, first I'm going to start, like she said, I'm going to start working on what's causing my GI distress because it seems like every time I have bread, I'm having issues. So maybe I'm going to crowd out the bread and the gluten. I'm going to start with that, but I'm not going to do anything else right now. I'm just going to start with that. Then once that becomes a habit and that becomes either, okay, I'm still having some sleep issues. Maybe I'll add in that magnesium, like they said, and I'll try that for sleep. So I'm going to layer that on now too. And just starting with one thing instead of all the things. So you're not overwhelmed. And there's the stress piece because then you're dealing with lowering stressors one at a time, instead of taking either all the stressors out at one time and that's going to stress you out or adding all these things in that could be one more layer of stress on top of the stress bucket so I think these have been amazing tips I'm sure everybody's going to listen to this and walk away with something so I really appreciate your feedback today and all of your uh, good support to the listeners where can people find you and again when when's this book coming out that we're waiting right for? that's a good <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> It is. I'm hoping the book will be complete by the end of the year. Um, oh, that's so exciting. We, we are about halfway through it, or I'm about halfway through it. So mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, every time I start writing, there's always more and yeah. that I want to put down. So now it's deciding because it was initially going to be like a, a partial recipe book, but now the book's becoming so much bigger and so many other things. We're trying to decide if we should break it up, but we'll, it will come to that conclusion uh, soon enough. So hopefully by the end of the year, it will be complete, which means normally two or three months after that, hopefully it'll be out, but that's kind of where, I, where I'm hoping fingers crossed. Um, but they can find me at katedeering.com. That's my website and, or Kate Deering Fitness on Instagram or Facebook, which I've been pretty quiet on lately because I've just been trying to focus on this book, but I will plan on returning to, to social media probably in a few weeks <clears throat> as I have hired some support because obviously we realized that you cannot manage all things sometimes. And so, yeah, yeah. so that's hopefully happening, but um, yeah, that's where they can find me. Good for you for dialing in those stressors. Yeah, sometimes fielding out to other people is a great way we can just calm down that that 
one more stress thing in our life. So good for you. Yeah, we it can't is. wait for that book. That'll be exciting. The recipes yeah. alone will be exciting, but I'm sure you'll have lots of information too. So it, it'll be an over, I always think I overshare. That's what it turns out. It's like, I always <laughs> want to give more because I'm like, oh, they shouldn't, you know, and then I always realize I go, people are going to be able to take in like 10% yeah, because I, I overshare, but you know what? I'd rather overshare than undershare. So as things unwind and I, and I, and I write them out that that will be very clear to me that I don't need to make those decisions just yet. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And thanks for all of your valuable information. We'll look forward to having you back on again and um, we will, we will reconnect soon. Thank you. Pleasure. I want to assist you on your health journey. I want to unlock your potential and help you become the best version of yourself. If your sleep is off, if your stress eating is high, if your energy is low and your gut is irritated, I would love to help you repair, relax, rest, and reignite your passions for life. I offer nutrition therapy and lifestyle coaching worldwide via Zoom, FaceTime, or Google Meet, and I believe in your bio-individual needs. No two persons need the same protocol, so as a nutrition detective, I will ask you a slew of questions to get to the why of your health conditions and provide solutions, tips, recommendations to fit your unique needs and your lifestyle. So if you're ready to get fit with Jodell, just give me an email quickly. It's getfitwithjodell at gmail.com. You can find that in the link to the show notes. And let's get you on the path to feeling your most optimal self. you're dealing with late night sugar cravings, are you? Well, you're not alone. A lot of people are. And it's because of all the blue light stimulation after the sun goes down. Did you know that blue light can actually make you crave carbs after the sun goes down due to the stress from releasing cortisol? It's telling your brain this is noon and yet we've already had a noon today. So release cortisol because we don't know why there's so much blue light now that the sun has gone down. So a really easy fix to help your body stave off those sugar cravings and feel more optimal is with blue light blocking glasses. Now I have the day blockers on to where when I'm on my computer during the day, I can block any excessive blue light that I don't need. The sun gives us the perfect amount of blue light, but sometimes our devices have excessive amounts and that can lead to chronic sleepless nights and it can lead to a little bit more cravings for sweets and carbohydrates than we're used to. Then after the sun goes down, I put on my amber or reddish orange colored blue light blocking glasses that tells my brain this is night. It's time to wind down, release melatonin, not have any cravings because we're getting close to bed. So just by getting your light right, you can actually get your cravings right. So I want you to go to Swanwick Sleep. The link is in the show notes and you're going to use my code FITFOR10. That's F-I-T-F-O-R, the number 10, and save 10% off your purchase of blue light blocking glasses, either day or night, whatever it is that you need. But I highly recommend at least starting with the nighttime ones to end those sugar cravings or those little pesky, like I need to snicky snack at night cravings. They also have incredible anti-blue light bulbs for your, your home lights, as well as an anti-blue light night light. If you have children or you yourself like to have night lights in the house, this doesn't emit any blue light. It's dimmable. It can be brighter or dimmer. Um, and it's wonderful to help children prevent 
prevent myopia because if children are exposed to blue light after the sun goes down at a very young age, they can start to de develop the risk for myopia or nearsightedness. And there's published studies that show this. So make sure that you check out the link in the show notes and use my code FITFOR10 to save yourself 10% off of either the glasses or the bulbs or the, the anti-blue light um, nightlight or all of the above because in any world when we get our light right, we're going to get our bodies right.